Fez and Kev talk about their first time in Ireland camp. Kev tells us why you should never trust Paul O'Connell at the dinner table and Fez on what he sees going wrong at Ulster Rugby. It's all coming up on The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. Two and Ring Rose comes through. Oh. And he's brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score. I know what website you use most often, but <laughs> it's a sister of uh, YouTube. <laughs> Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next year. He's calling. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. I say YouTube is probably YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Hard Yards, the Sports Show Rugby podcast. I'm Andy McGeady. Welcome here to Stephen Ferris, Kevin McLaughlin and Pat McCarry. And later on, we get odds for the weekend's Pro 12 semi-final action from Haley O'Connor of Ladbrokes. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get it straight to your phone. We had two pairs of tickets for the Guinness Pro 12 final to give away on the podcast last week. The winners are Connor Coyne and Chris McWilliams. Well done and enjoy the game. We have so much to cover on the podcast today. Uh, the Pro 12 semis that we talk about, um, Ulster's woes, I think we will go into in some depth. But first, we're going to talk about Ireland squad for the USA and Japan games. Uh, eight new caps, uh, sorry, uncapped players. But gentlemen, you think back to the first time you saw your name listed in an Ireland squad. You've got the call, there's people talking about you in the media, family and friends are talking about it. But what is it like walking into your first Ireland camp? Fez? Oh, jeez. Um, first of all, I was very nervous. You know, I only played a handful of games for Ulster. C- came from a club site, Dungannon, and um, got the call. Mark McCall was in charge of Ulster at the time, and he gave me my, my first cap for Ulster. And before I knew it, I was on my way to Kleine Castle with Simon Best uh, on the way down in the car. And, you know, I remember getting in and, and sitting down, and a few of the lads you used to meet, as Kev would know, you used to meet up, meet up and go for a bit of food if you if you had time beforehand. I remember sitting there and realising that I didn't have any cash in my wallet to pay for the food, and I was, like, shaking, and I was looking at the menu, trying to order, like, the cheapest thing. <laughs> What's the soup of the day there? <laughs> you know, um, and meeting the likes of John Hayes and, and Rico and, and the lads. You know, John Hayes, I just remember... Watching him play rugby, standing, you know, balling his eyes out, 130 kilo man, uh, crying his eyes out for the national anthem, and you know, shaking his hand. And his hand was like so big, and I was just looking at him in awe. Uh, he's an absolute gentleman, and you know, I was coming in as, as this young fella, and you know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know the the lad's characters, um, and you know, Simon Best tapped me on the shoulders like. Stevie, you know, you, you don't have to pay for this. It's like it's on the RFU, and I was like, okay, give us uh, four portions of prawns there. And <laughs> uh, so it, it was, it was daunting. Don't get yeah. me wrong, it's daunting because you're going into a squad with uh, world class players, um, some egos, uh, some big characters, and it definitely took a while to settle in. But you know, it, it was, a, it was a good experience as well, and, and one that I enjoyed, and one that kind of probably uh, made me grow a little as well. Kev? Yeah, I came in uh, to a very established squad and one, it's interesting you saying about like the meals when you arrive, like there were a load of those kind of rituals established by the time I came in and I just didn't know what was going on. And there's no one that kind of, there's no onboarding experience. So you like don't, you, you don't, don't get a welcome pack. You, you don't get like a two day <laughs> onboarding. Here's yeah. exactly what happens while you're here. You just got to figure it out. And like Fez said, like you, you, you stumble through loads of mistakes on that onboarding and like, 
I remember the very first time we got on the coach for a training session from Kalini. I think it was out to Bray or it might have been into Donnybrook or something. I just plonked myself down. I wasn't at the back. It was maybe about three seats from the back of the bus. And everyone started giving me funny stares. I was like, well, like, is there something on my face? I was like, what have I done wrong here? And then so a few people snickering or whatever. And then Hayes starts marching down the bus with this filthy look, like a bull, like this filthy look in his face. That's my seat. I was like, sorry, Mr. Hayes, like got out, like legged it to the front of the bus. But like, they're like just examples of rituals. And like you put your foot in it. It takes yeah. a while to, to, to settle. And to be perfectly honest, I was in and out of camp for kind of four or five years, whatever it was. I never fully, fully settled in. I was never like an established international. So it's hard because you're fully established in your province, but then you're going to the international setup and you're trying to understand exactly what the dynamics are. But there's new guys coming in and out the whole time. So every season there's a new set of stars or there's a new set of up and coming players. And the dynamic changes all the time. So it's a huge challenge for a coach to keep a stable, like positive dynamic within the camp and keep a strong environment. And that's one of the challenges an international coach has. But yeah, it, it's really hard going in for the first time. The, the nerves are exceptional and you, you obviously want to make a good impression and, and sitting in someone like John Hayes' seat wasn't a great start for me. But <laughs> well, well, what is the key part that makes that, that is nerve wracking? Is it the, the pressure to perform in front of, you know, the best of the best that the country has to offer? Or is it is it the, the coach has picked me? Or is it, like you say, seeing those big, big names up close and personal for the first time as a um, as a colleague rather than someone against you? Yeah, and again, in Kleine Castle, I'm, I'm standing there and I'm picking up my kit bag or something or talking to like Willie Bennett who was the masseuse who was you know really friendly and, and invited you into the environment and then like Draco you know always parked his car not in the car park like outside the team room because he could, <laughs> he could do that so he jumps out of his car and he walks through like the fire escape he doesn't come in the normal door <laughs> the fire escape and he came walking over and he was chatting to a few people and I just kind of caught his eye and he just came over and he went Brian and I went, oh, Stevie, nice to meet you. And then he just turned around and started chatting to other people. And I think it's like those characters you see the captain of Ireland, you know, walking in. And I'm like, straight away, am, am I good enough to be here? Do you mm -hmm. know, I, you kind of, I doubted myself loads of times, especially in training. You, you were, you know, so scared to make a mistake. Like, I was like, please just catch this ball and pass it on, you know, in the warm up drills. And mm -hmm. you're just kind of. Uh, it just it really, as I agree with Kev, it took a long time to, to settle in. Um, but I think when I did settle in is when I went on a tour with uh, with Ireland. And when you disappear away to Argentina, like I did in 2006, um, you know, when the A team, they were getting pre preparation for the World Cup in 2006, 2007. You know, that's when, that's when it kind of, you come out of your shell and you settle in a lot more and you get to know the guys personally, you're rooming with guys that, you you know, you like the Gordon Darcy or... Yeah, you know, I was going to ask, for, who, for me, who's uh, the first guy you were rooming with? <laughs> we were chatting earlier on before yeah. the show and I actually can't remember. I think, I think it would is Gordon Darcy or, um, who else did I say, Pat? Yeah, there was a memorable... Ga Gav? Um, yeah, I think it was Gavin, Gavin Duffy. Duffy. Gavin yeah, Duffy, yeah. maybe something like that. Yeah. But there was like... A core group of maybe fifteen lads that room with each other all the time. So yeah. like the Shaggies, the O'Driscolls, O'Connell, O'Gara, they all kind of shared with the same people. The, the, the families are already set up. In yeah, those the rooms. families are set up, and us 
blow ins like who were coming in for different sessions and weren't established you know you find yourself switching about a few times but also thought, thought that's a good thing mm. because you get to know people personally uh, instead of just from a work perspective it adds so. to the nerves though you're like who, yeah, who, yeah who, who am I going to spend <laughs> the next week in a room with you don't know until you get in so who, you, who did you get to room with and in, in with Leinster it was always with Dev but um, with Ireland it varied every single time because yeah. I wasn't established say so every time I'd go to the reception either in Kalini or in the Carton House I'd be asking them at reception who am I room with <laughs> <laughs> so you're like who am I spending the next seven days with yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind I, of I don't exactly see him yeah, yeah. yeah. and did Justin Fitzpatrick one is he, he a memorable guy to room with did you ever kind of oh, forget geez. that experience uh, yeah Justin Fitzpatrick I room with him at Ulster and I remember my first away trip to Galway we were playing Connacht away and uh, you know get the bus down and I was still one of the young lads trying to make sure I was starting week in week out for Ulster and um, of course get the room in list and Fitz he was like Fizz, you're with me. Let's go. And I was like, right, okay. So, so I grab his bags and my bags, and we walk up to the room and get into the room. And uh, I think he goes to the bathroom uh, for a number two, like or something, right? And he walks out, and he's completely buff naked. And he goes, "Oh, it's Stevie." And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Do you want to play mummy or daddy tonight?" And I went, uh, "What?" He says. Do you want to play mummy or daddy? <clears throat> and I said, well, mummy. And he goes, okay, daddy it is then. And he's just standing there, completely buff naked. And I'm like, is this the way this goes? Or this what, have, what have I signed up to? <laughs> and then, of course, you get down to the team room and I slag a few people and chat about what fits he's just done. And he says, oh, he's been doing that for the last 15 years with any roommate, roommate that he has. So uh, that's just one experience. Uh, <laughs> Big Justin Fitzpatrick now. I I coach him in America. He was a good character to be around, and uh, uh, it was good fun. But geez, yeah, that'll live in my memory forever. <laughs> seeing Justin Fitzpatrick waddle out of the bathroom, <laughs> ask me if I wanted to play mummy or daddy. Would there be Would there be anybody who's kind of good for the wind up? You know, especially behind the new lads. Like just like go up there and tell him you're not going to take that anymore. Or, well, I'd imagine Roger would be somebody who'd be kind of, you know, that 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 seat's not taken down the back of the bus or something like that. Um, uh, I remember one of my first camps uh, Paul O'Connell what a gent you know he was one of the people who would have come up to me and made time and spent time with me on the plays and um, so I built up a lot of trust for him in those first couple of weeks and then <clears throat> we were having a meal and uh, in in Fitzpatrick Hotel and there was some sauce no one knew what it was so Paul he was like see what that sauce is there Kev so I picked up a big huge big spoon of it and I kind of he goes give it a smell there so I put it to my nose and he slapped the spoon <laughs> and covered my <laughs> entire face in the sauce <laughs> and I looked at him my heart was broken I was like like the entire room laughing at me I was like I thought you were nice <laughs> no, but it was just like the younger guys do get a little bit of that but I mean it's overall everyone respects each other and everyone's yeah. there to do a job and but, like but you've both mentioned something about you're going into a new dyna uh, a new dynamic a new environment it's a new group when do you begin to feel a little bit part of it is in kind of okay I'm used to this here I know the rituals it's grand when does that happen it's when you start playing matches you know and you start getting in that match day squad and you, you, you the match weeks, you know, the build up, and you're in the training, and you're, as Kev said, you're not in and out. So you, you know, I found myself, you know, a few weeks during Six Nations where you're in for two or three days, and then you you disappear for two weeks, and a couple of other different back rowers are in, and you're going back and playing for Ulster, and then you know you swap around again, and it's when you actually get into that match day 23, um, is when you really feel a part of it, and you're winning and losing together as a mm -hmm. squad and you're not just uh, in and out and 
when you're in and out, it's 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 really difficult. Like, and it's you, you kind of thinking in your head, how did how can I break into this squad? And all you can do is keep playing well for your club or your province um, until an opportunity comes. And when that opportunity does come, you have to try your very best to try and nail it down. But it's so so difficult. And fortunately, there was a at a few years where I was kind of starting most most weeks for, for for Ireland, and I really really enjoyed being a part of a, a really good close knit group and you know I went to 2007 World Cup never got selected felt like a complete outsider me Brian Carney Brian Young and Alan Quillen the Bordeaux four <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've done our own training we went done our own weights and we just didn't feel a part of it um, and it, it, you just need to break in there and, and make sure that everybody's happy in it a happy environment, you know, will, will bring success to the team, and uh, I was fortunate enough to for that to turn around for the 2011 World Cup, where I was starting most weeks. Every guy on that tour got a uh, got a start, uh, or got some game time. So uh, yeah, uh, to answer your question, it's just about getting in there and uh, you know being in a winning and losing teams and winning and losing together. Yeah, it's so hard. <coughs> you, you talk about uh, it's a. You know, when you get into the international camp, you know, we've spoken about in the provinces before, it's the A team versus the B team essentially in training. It's the same international camp, but if you've been selected to come to an international camp, it's a bit of a cliche, but the intensity does go up. There's, it's a level above what you do in province because everyone there has a, has a fighting chance of getting involved, particularly in the first week when everyone comes in. There's no game that weekend and everyone's trying to prove themselves. And the 15s will always be mixed around, so the coaches will try and keep everyone on their toes. But I never got fully established in the Ireland team and it was incredibly difficult, like Fez said. I was, every time I went out in the training park, I was trying to prove myself. I was never fully ingrained. He was a nightmare. He kept like, hitting me a slap and <laughs> we got live mulling today and Kev's like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you've got to take every opportunity to try and yeah. show your hunger and show your, you know, that you should be there. But it was, it's so competitive. Like everyone is fighting for every inch in training, which is awesome. Like it, it's really enjoyable to be involved in, but you're also, you're under pressure all the time and especially when you're trying to establish yourself and you get a start you know you only have one chance really or you're gone because it's in back row anyway there's 10 guys just sitting there hungry ready to go ready to take that jersey yeah, so. it, that, that's it's a traditionally deep position um for at least yeah. in, the, in the last sort of number of we'll say rugby generations yeah. but I think the assumption might be that outside that you walk into the Ireland squad and you walk out again after that first set up and you're, you're walking on air you know you're, you're a giant but if you're not feeling as if you're going to be established in, in the core is there another side to that you know you're sort of saying oh god I have to prove myself again yeah it is it's relentless but that's that's what ambitious people want is they get into Ireland squad and that's only the first part the next thing is they want to get 10 caps then they want to get 50 caps and I have huge admiration for the likes of Fez Shawnee Jamie guys who've established themselves as particularly in a position like back row where there's so many in the country that to nail down and hold a position for your country um, in a back row slot in Ireland is, is so hard um, and you just can't let up in terms of the way you play, your consistency, the way you train, and the way you respect the jersey when you put it on. It, it's it's extremely challenging and hard. Mm. Especially with lads coming up and trying to drill you in training. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's what you're up against. But the, yeah, but the most when it's really really competitive, that's when the, you kind of see the best coming out of people and who actually, you know, is up for the challenge and. Um, 
some great days in training where you know there's blood coming out of people and you know you're getting absolutely stuck in and when there's live mauling there's some guys who are the, the established guys you're sitting there going oh no you know yeah. <laughs> um, David Wallace uh, back in the day always went oh jeez this hammy of mine's getting a bit tight here <laughs> <laughs> you know and he's playing yeah. against Australia later on that week or something but um, it was just a great environment and you, you need that competition to get the best out of people mm. Um, so let's talk about the actual squad that's been named. They've named 31, uh, eight new caps, and also sorry, sorry, eight uncapped players, and then 14 with fewer than 10 caps. Yeah. So that's that's a big chunk of the squad who are on the lower end of the experience scale. Uh, there's a 32nd to be named after this week's this weekend's games, which we will come to. The captain is not yet named, which we might talk about. Um, but the uncapped lads, Rory Scannell, for me. Um, screams out as somebody who has made his way right up to the top of the tree and uh, I think we should be talking about him on this tour as, as someone we, we really want to see get some game time Yeah, like um, it was interesting to see someone like um, like McCloskey and, and Chris Farrell who a lot of people had tipped to make this tour didn't make it but um, with Scannell being somewhere there like it'd be interesting to see if Scannell and Ringrose are paired together uh, Scannell's a guy I've seen a good bit of at Munster this season and he, he's happy to kind of take on you know kicking out of, out of hand during games and stuff like that and um, very confident kind of can take goal kicks if he's needed to as well and um, just someone like you know I know even uh, you know Ronan O'Gara is a massive fan of him has kind of tipped him to kind of play for Ireland as well so I'd, I'd say he'll get a run I'd say I know Luke Marshall's in the squad as well but I think they'll definitely look at him they'll start him in, in maybe two of the games I'd say because he's someone that Joe Schmidt rates very highly Yeah Kev he's a different kind of 12 in that he's a 12-10 rather than a 12 carried up the middle mm. yeah, He is and he's <clears throat> he's played great stuff for Munster this year in terms of the squad it's uh, it's an interesting blend it's very very light in experience like you said so Joe is using this tour to plan forward and he's he's building a squad for 2019 at this point and what he's going to be looking for in this tour is for leaders to emerge because there's no real obvious leaders besides say Reese Ruddock Paddy Jackson um, Dev and and a few guys like that Keen Healy there's no one with huge experience there um, so besides those obvious guys Joe's going to be watching like a hawk to see who actually t- steps up it's, it's a very interesting dynamic when you take the kind of eight or nine most experienced players out of a squad because it just changes everyone realises the, the less uh, experienced guys realise they have to step up mm. and you'll see a change of dynamic you'll see guys in meetings speaking that wouldn't have spoken Lancaster said some really interesting things during the week that he puts huge pressure on his players to speak up in meetings and give their opinions because they can't rely on the, the senior players all the time and when they put on the jersey it's a it's a player it doesn't matter whether they're senior or not and I think Joe will be looking for the same thing this, this uh, tour is for guys to step up and own things and That'll have a huge bearing on what the kind of the future of Irish rugby is, particularly for the World Cup in 2019. Well, it's a big opportunity for these guys. <clears throat> excuse me, as you say, like, but as long as as long as they know that this is an opportunity, you know, like, there's 11 guys off in the Lions tour. That's fine. There's a couple of big names like uh, Jamie Heaslip, Rob Carney, Sean Grant, who, who aren't in the squad for various reasons, mostly injury related. Um, but apart from the Ruddocks, who who do we see potentially stepping forward as, as leadership material here or we just do we, do we wait for the tests and see what happens on the field <coughs> yeah it's funny we were chatting also about um, before the show started about who would cap, potentially mm. captain the side and um, you know Reese Ruddock is somebody who leads by example on and off the pitch and you know he's professional in everything that he does and I think he's been playing some outstanding rugby this last number of weeks so he's definitely going to step up to the plate he's kind of one of the 
one of the old heads in there, you know, and he hasn't got a lot of caps under his belt. So he, there's responsibility that lies with him. Devin Toner, you know, he's going to uh, work hard with the young lads. I like Kieran Treadwell in there, you know, teaching him the ropes when it comes to the line out, the dark arts of international rugby. And uh, it, it's going to be, for me, I'm really excited about it. Mm. And, you know, I did expect to pick up the newspaper the next day or flick online and see. You know Andrew Trimble and you know Jamie Heaslip and, and and see all the guys that you would normally expect to see in the squad. I did expect to see that, but when I do look at the squad, I go, "Geez, you know Irish rugby is good. There's all these guys that are coming through, and the future is bright." And I just hope for them that they go out there and they relish the opportunity because an international cap it's hard enough to get one um, and, and they're going out there on a tour you know, there's three caps to be had and you really got to put everything on the line to try and, to try and get three caps Well you mentioned Trimble so there's, there's no Trimble there's no Craig Gilroy um, yep. also, which is probably something to talk about in its own right but the, the Ulster player who is in there is Jacob Stockdale now I know you're a fan of him. Yeah, massive fan of Jacob Stockdale. Nine tries for Ulster this season. Probably been the pick of the back three players, uh, him and Charles Piatai. And uh, it seems to be when the squad is at full strength for Ulster that Jacob Stockdale finds himself on the bench. You know, Andrew Trimble usually starts. Reason being, he's been starting is because he, he's captain of Ulster this season. So it's pretty hard to leave your captain on the bench or out of the squad. I think Trimble would be the first person to say, uh, you know, he hasn't recaptured the form. Uh, the old form of Andrew Trimble, and he, he's still he's still digging for it. He's got he's had a few injuries um, over the last you know eighteen months. Um, it's still in there. I, th- I still think you know Andrew's got a lot to give when it comes to international rugby. But he'd be the first person to say that you know maybe Jacob would deserve to go ahead of him. Uh, even though deep down inside he's probably going right. You know, this is maybe the kick up the backside that I need. To, to turn things around over the next year because you know I played Randwick at under 21 level um, you know under 19 level how many years at international rugby does he have left as an international winger you know probably only a couple of years so he's got to think right i got to maximise these next couple of years and when I do get that opportunity like Kevin myself talked about that you do go out there and, and you try and get that jersey back because nobody owns a jersey and there's already somebody there knocking the door. He's also one of the players who is, you know, he's on the shelf that Joe has labelled, I know what this guy can do, I trust him, and yeah. even if he was out of camp for a year <coughs> and a half, I could bring him in and I know exactly that he would, he would fit into everything in terms of the group and what I want from him on the field. Yeah, but is that a good thing? Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried if I were Andrew, though. I mean, no. uh, Joe, know, like you say, Joe knows what he can do, and Joe's a massive fan of his. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure he will have got a phone call this week from Joe and an explanation, but... but he he also knows that say someone like Stockdale's putting huge pressure on him, not only in Ireland but in Ulster as well. Um, w- with the Craig Gilroy thing, do you think Joe's decided that maybe he's not the future, or do you think? Um, again, Craig's really a, a young guy. You know, everybody he's been around so long. Was he? He's nearly in 150 caps for Ulster. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, he, he's still in his mid 20s. So. I just don't know, Kev. I think he, he scored a hat trick, you know, against Italy. Come on off the bench, scored a hat trick. Um, was it the second Irish player to ever score a hat trick after CJ? Yeah, yeah. Or third was there one more? Sorry, there was one that? more before that in the, yeah. in the Six Nations. Yeah, you know that's that's pretty hard to do. Um, and I don't know if he come off and uh, pissed Joe off <laughs> in some way uh, after the game, but Joe immediately said post match interview that you know Craig. Mr. Tackle or something. He doesn't fit the mold of Joe Winger. No, yeah, he's not a Trimby. 
He's not a McFadden. He's not a um, a, a, a Zebo or a. He, he's not physical. Yeah, and Zebo and Zebo is probably the guy who at the start was also in that mold, yeah. and he's adapted parts he's of adapted. his game to yes. change because Joe seems to like a winger who is who is. I made a comparison earlier on affair to John Aldridge in the old Jack Charlton <laughs> yeah. days, who was a brilliant goal hanger, a brilliant poacher, lethal from a yard. Um, but for Ireland, he wanted him working. Right. He wanted him working all around the field. I've watched Craig over the last six or seven years and played with him and very rarely if ever does he get steamrolled and a winger scores in the corner mm-hmm. you know he he punches above his weight and for me the only criticism I would have is he's not brilliant like you know a Rob Carney or a Zebo in the air so mm-hmm. when you know box kicks are being put up you know he, he struggles slightly mm-hmm. but at the same time what he offers in attack you know, it's it's well, well, he's that's like it. he's like a Stuart Hogg. Yeah, Stuart Hogg's you know, for me is a very very poor defender. But what what he offers in attack is unbelievable. So, Craig, he, for me, he finds himself very very unlucky, especially when you look down. You see like Andrew Conway who leapfrogged him again for the last international in Six Nations. Um, I think he finds himself unlucky, but. I think uh, I think I agree I think with you. Hit the nail on the head, he, does, he doesn't fit the mold at the minute. Yeah, it's it's the air. It's definitely like Joe puts huge emphasis on winning the aerial battle, and Andrew Conway has improved that a lot. And maybe that's where Craig's missing out. But it's he's definitely unfortunate. Yeah, well, Craig Gilroy never played for Leinster, which is his own. <laughs> so, um, but Easy cons- conspiracy time. Does the Irish selection tell us anything about the Lions? I mean, does this mean that look, if Jamie Heaslip's not um, travelling with this team and fit enough to play, he's not going anywhere near Lions tour? Yeah, it, like it's not the first thing you think about, but then you start looking at it and you're like, um, you know, it, like he's hasn't played in you know since March tenth, uh, wasn't it against Wales? Which like, is so about three years in he slipping injury <laughs> recovery time. <laughs> yeah, so like if he doesn't come back, like you can't see he slip making a line squad now. It's, nah. it's not like unless he goes on holidays in in New Zealand or something like that and just picks up a game <laughs> like a games. Tom, Tom Court special, yeah. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> plays for a county's Manukau or something like that in in a club game. But um, yeah, the likes of even lads I would have thought like Sean Cronin, Dunica Ryan might have been maybe first guys in reserve even Rob Kearney first guys in reserve now because they're not going on that tour they're not going to be match fit is that just them out of the reckoning whereas lads like Zebo and Healy um, and even even Earls are going over are those the lads then from the Irish side of things Ringrose who looks like a definite are, are they the lads then who have a chance to go up for the Lions yeah for me they're the guys in the mix uh, I don't think Gats is going to bring anyone that's not match fit I think he's he's drawn a line in the sand apart from Warburton who will go regardless you go on one leg um, he's only going to bring match fit players yeah. I think so um, one final point I was really good to see that the official release for the squad talked about the three young Irish coaches going on the various legs of the tour 40 year old Raj 41 year old Gerv there's hope for us all yet Felix I know you're only 29 but you know um, we'll leave it there We next up we'll chat about uh, I think we'll have a little chat about Ulster Rugby and where they are now and where they might go well you got something to write with Good, it's time to work on your interviews. My interviews? What do I gotta do? Week to week, no matter who you're playing, you're gonna say the same thing mm. time and time again. You're gonna have to learn your cliches. You're gonna say, you know, it's a big um, big challenge this weekend, gotta get up for it. You're gonna have to study them, you're gonna have to know them. So many cliches and players as well as journalists, I'm looking at you here, you must be so fed up and bored <laughs> of listening to this stuff. We gotta play them one day at a time. Well, you know, the press conference yesterday, I was asked, um, you know, about you know three big games left mm-hmm. to try and make playoffs. And what did I say? 
Um, we're all just looking forward to just taking it one game at a time, aren't we? Pretty boring. Of course know? it's boring. That's the point. Write it down. <laughs> what a ridiculous, boring cliche. I know. Write it down. Yeah. You can't not be boring. You just got to say the same old stuff everybody says. You say it best when you say nothing at all. The Hard Yards on Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. Okay, and we're back on the Hard Yards. And since we have Mr. Ferris on the podcast today, um, I think it's worth a little time to talk about Ulster season because uh, in the next seven we'll be talking about Munster semi-final, Leinster semi-final, Connacht are playing for their time. Um, but Ulster, it's probably been a little bit unfulfilling. Hello, if we got here, by the way. <laughs> we could be here all day. Uh, i got to watch what I say. Um, I think this season has been... The expectation levels of fans, um, me now as a fan, I, everybody just wants the team to do well. Um, you see the amount of money that's been invested, you know, the coaches that have been brought in, um, the team still isn't reaching its targets. And, you know, this Ulster side, with the amount of talent that there is in the squad, should be definitely getting the knockout rugby in both the Champions Cup and the league. Um, and it's just a really, really disappointing season. Uh, everybody up north is talking about why why is this happening why are we underachieving constantly year in year out since the 2012 uh, European Cup final where Kev beat lumps out of me for 80 (laughs) minutes um, and and they won convincingly in the end it seems to have went backwards and you know Shane Logan come out um, and, and I keep saying this because people aren't listening to me they got to listen to me and you know Shane Logan <laughs> said that Ulster were going to be the best team in the world not the best club team in the world not not Europe the world and within the five year plan we were going to win a European Cup and we were going to win a league and it just went backwards since then yeah, you've well, got to set realistic targets yeah I was, I was going to say because in fairness like set, setting a lofty goal is not a bad thing but I think what you're saying is that that is now so detached from what has happened that you, someone needs to look hard and see well, what yeah, is you, actually going on here you got to set a vision and being really lofty your vision is okay but then you got to you know narrow things into a really short focus and maybe that's what I'll start missing a bit is to win a European Cup and to win a league you know, it, it involves a huge number of processes and a huge number of things to happen, and it takes years to build what you need. So, I mean, I, I would imagine that in Ulster, the focus needs to be on putting the building blocks in place. And for me, that starts at the bottom. So, like their academy, their schools, up to their academy structure, up to um, the types of players they get in, up to the culture they build, and like adding those blocks together. And then you start talking about winning a European trophy. I think. Mm. Um, my big concern for Ulster at the moment is they're losing the guy they built their game around in PNR for the last four or five years. Um, their academy's not exactly churning out players. Uh, their coach is under huge pressure, and now there's a big rifle pointing at Jono Gibbs's head as he comes in because everyone's saying Jono's going to fix things, and that's not a nice scenario for a coach coming into a new club. <laughs> I mean, Jono will add a lot. But at the end of the day, he's going in to support Kissy and, and, and help him out and, and hopefully create something different. But it's not going to be all on him. It needs to come from the senior players. It needs to come from start with Kissy, then the senior players, and then right down throughout the roots of Ulster Rugby. How do how do you start churning out like top quality players like is happening in Leinster at the moment? It's and that's the problem. Nobody can put their finger on why this you know, why are we not getting young players like the Dan Levy's coming through that you know, can step into international rugby 
straight out of the academy. It's it's just not happening up in Ulster. But it was over at the European Cup final at the weekend, watching Saracens, and all the Saracens players were there. All the guys who were on the fringes were there. All their academy players were there. You know, they were on the pitch celebrating together. It was about seventy people from Saracens on the pitch. And they all know one another. They all were shaking hands and high-fiving each other. And there just seems to be this unbelievable culture, this kind of passion to work hard for one another. And it doesn't matter if you're... <coughs> it doesn't matter... <coughs> excuse me. It doesn't matter if you're the 17-year-old the who's just out of school and breaking into the system or you're the, you know, the Mario Toji who's just been picked to go on a Lions tour and is probably one of the best second rows in the world. It doesn't matter. You're just all as a collective and as one... And at the minute, Ulster Rugby, for me, just seems to be a wee bit all over the place. And nobody really knows what they're trying to buy into yet. And I think Kev, you know, saying that Jono coming in, you know, Les in charge of everything, hopefully they're going to figure that out over pre-season and everybody's going to buy into the direction that they want it to go. But for me, it's just all over the place. And when you're losing and you're underperforming and you're not achieving, then that just adds to the pressure. And it's just a difficult, difficult place to be. If I was Casey, I'd be going over and sitting down with Martin McCall and I'd spend a couple of days with him and I would learn everything that he's done in Saracens because this Saracens thing didn't happen overnight. This has been building since around 2010 or whenever Martin McCall went over there. He had a vision for the club and the culture he's built uh, has grown over there is incredible. And and it's, it's visible every single time they play. They play for each other. Uh, they play with humility. They respect every opposition they play against and they play with a level of consistency that speaks of champions. Um, and Mark McCall leads from the front. He's really humble in the way he acts. He treats people with respect, and because of that, the players do the same. I was over visiting Ian Madigan in Bordeaux uh, last summer, and the Saracens team happened to be in the same restaurant we were in. Uh, so we were sitting like at a higher tier and looking down at them. They had the whole bottom floor of the restaurant rented out, and I just observed the way they behaved. And they are there were seventy of them, like you said, the academy, uh, the younger guys, everyone. And everyone was treated the exact same way. They were having a bit of a jolly up. And you could just tell they were like, this is a tight group. Mm. And how do you build that? It, it takes time. You can't just you can't just flick a switch and say we're tight now. But, but the contrast is interesting because there's been so much effort put into the, the and in, in fairness, successful effort <coughs> putting into like the overhaul of the stadiums, one of the facilities, so the, the off-pitch parts of the infrastructure. Um, but I think, uh, Fez, what you might be getting at is that what's going on with the core, the core of what you're trying to build around, because you've come to the end of the Pinar generation. So the Pinar thing, Pinar was always going to leave at some stage. Mm. It's the what are you building towards? And what we'd seen was that, like in fairness, Leinster had done and Munster had done before, they'd brought in some, some critical foreign players in position, people who had leadership so they could actually build, help build out, right, and people could learn from them. But we're not seeing this next step here. We're not, and it's a worry for me the the amount of Ulster guys that are coming through the system and are representing their province. You, you mean pe- you know, to be clear? You mean people who are actually born, they're, they're and, born and bred, born okay. and bred in Ulster. And a friend of mine who uh, who, who signed for uh, signed for Munster at the start of this season and ended up uh, moving to Connaught. There's a guy called John Andreas. And he never got a start. He never got a starter. He never get onto the the match day twenty three from Munster. And I said, why? He says, oh, Razzie only wants to pick homegrown guys who actually know what it means to play for Munster. Like, so if there's a young guy who's a tight head, um, you know, and he's showing 
showing a bit of belief and he's you know got a bit of hunger about him he's going to pick him ahead of me every single time and I'm not saying that's necessarily right but it kind of it's it, it's something that John was like that's fair enough you know this guy has played his whole career wanting to play for Munster Rugby I'm just coming in here you know trying to establish myself as a Munster man that didn't work out for him so f- at Ulster you know I just look at the pack when the lads are away next year the Irish internationals are away on Irish duty and you go okay there's a new South African prop prop van der Merwe coming in you have um, uh, Marcel Coutsey at number 8 Arno Bota at number 7 Sean Reedy at number 6 Kieran Treadwell in the, in the second row with Alan O'Connor or Peter Brown uh, Vian Herbst uh, at, at uh, Tidehead um, and you know you just look at the pack and you go hold on a second yes there's a couple of Irish qualified players in there but none of them were born and bred in Ulster and it's a it's a worrying thing for me because you don't want to you don't want a province like Ulster or any of the provinces turn into the likes of a Toulon who just go out and buy marquee players year in year out and hope that because you've got this unbelievable name and Marcel could see that it's going to turn things around and you got to build a team um, and Ulster just don't have that at the minute and look I'm on the outside now looking in I'm not in there I don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, but back in 2010 when Brian McLaughlin came into the Ulster setup, the first thing that we talked about was about culture and we started to work on things and, and come together as a group and uh, you know we went on to achieve knockout stages unfortunately we didn't win anything but you know as a as a group and as a team it was the best team that I've been involved in and it was the most enjoyable and when you're enjoying your work and you're enjoying your rugby then you seem to put that into performances and to me the Ulster lads aren't enjoying themselves at the minute because that's certainly shown in the performances over the last couple of months but also just going back to that point you, Ulster will never be able to compete with Toulon in terms of getting the best marquee players in because they don't have the same budget none of the Irish provinces will so they have to do something different and when you get Brian O'Driscoll retiring and someone like Gary Ringrose taking his jersey that is hugely impactful for the game in Leinster because you think about all the schools guys and all the sub-academy guys that are watching that happen and they're thinking, okay, so when Jamie Heaslip retires, when Luke McGrath retires, I could be the next number nine. Or no. Whereas in Ulster, when you see, I don't know, Roger Wilson retiring and then bringing in a South African guy, what is the impact that's having on the school guys in Ulster and the academy guys in Ulster? They're going, why would I bother working my ass off here? They're just going to bring in a foreign player. Like, you have to think about those knock-on impacts. And I think Leinster are blessed in that they've got this school structure that churns out players. But Ulster have to change something. They have to do something different at the lower ranks to bring through homegrown players and have more players in the Ulster pack with a, with a Belfast accent. Yeah, well, well, it's an a, accent. That's so important. That's a great point, Kev, yeah. Yeah, there's two sides. Of that. I think you're talking about the pathway, but it's also the other side of that. It's, it's identity. You know, and it's the one advantage Absolutely. which the Irish provinces do is that we do still think of them as provinces, provincial sides made up of people from the various counties and cities in the land um, and not simply as clubs. Now, I know there's a professional game and they are essentially, these are franchises, these are clubs. Yeah. But it is an advantage that we have here and it, it is something that maybe we should just try and try and think about. But I think it's very interesting, Fred, that you're, you're there and you said it right at the start that you're looking at this as a fan now. You know, yeah. so you're a player that was one side, but you're now a fan. You say, "Look, I, I really would like to see this team shape differently." I know that uh, you know professional rugby has evolved so so much over the last ten years, but like you talk to people in the pub afterwards after an Ulster rugby match, um, people have been going to Ulster matches for the last twenty years, and they used to watch Ulster run out, and there w- was fifteen Ulster men on the pitch that were playing for Balamina or playing for Malone or playing for Harlequins or Cook or whoever. 
and they were running out 15 guys born and bred in Ulster and that's just I know the professional game has moved on and yes if you want to keep evolving as a team and getting the best out of people you bring the likes of Jared Payne in who's going to make players around him better but at the same time you got to get that core group of players homegrown lads um, as, as Kev says guys with Belfast accents walking around training instead of South, Af- South African guys talking in Afrikaans you know so it's uh, for me as an Ulster fan now, I just want to see more young players. Uh, but maybe there just isn't those young guys at the minute. Maybe we're going through a two or three, four year period where there just isn't the talent at that underage level. Um, that, that could also be a possibility. But, but, but they've got to try and improve it. In return, like, would you be happy to have another year or two where you're kind of struggling? Like, If you, these young lads are coming in, like Munster have always went, almost went through for the last two or three years, where you're like, these young lads are getting a chance and it's starting to change, but you're going to have to struggle for a couple of years. Like, would you be happy enough to kind of deal with that with Gibbs, or is it a bit of a mix? There also weren't. A hu- there was a lot of games where there weren't a lot of fans in the stands yeah. looking at these young guys coming through. You know. Yeah. Again, like I've watched Ulster so much over the last few years, and when do you see one of the young guys, you know, out of the academy, given a chance in the full team where Ruan Pinar is playing and Paddy Jackson's playing? It's only when the Irish lads disappear or you know that they possibly get onto the bench to sneak an opportunity they still go with the likes of Robbie Diak and mm. you know Chris Henry Sean Reedy these kind of guys you know they keep going with them boys week in week out instead of going right there's three of the best academy guys let's put them into a full Ulster rugby team and give them an opportunity I just haven't seen that at all this year yeah I can, um, only, I can only think of like someone like Kyle McCall as like a, a local lad that's come from recent years but it's, you struggle to pick two or three lads that have come up and been given that run in the team Stockdale it? really is the only mm. one and again when it's he's, he's probably the best back three player for us this season but yet when there's a full team he's on the bench um, is, and, and that's because you've got Charles Piatai on one wing and you know the captain Trimble on the other and um, you know Louis Ludic or Jared Payne playing full back so Look, it's a touchy subject. We could sit here all day and talk about it. <laughs> so, so let's talk about this. Finish something slightly different. Uh, Kev, you mentioned earlier on, like John O'Gibbs is going to be involved in the setup next year. Uh, you've worked with him before. What can what can the Ulster team and fans expect from this arrival? Yeah, so Jono is uh, he was worked obviously under Joe for a long time and very very detail orientated and focused. He's added a lot more to his CV since he worked with me, so he's got a lot more experience. I think going to France, he was was a huge challenge for me to go and learn French go into Claremont a really established club and he's done a great job there if you look at the way the Claremont pack has performed over the over the past number of years he's a very calm and focused guy extremely uncompromising uh, expects very high high standards level of detail um, and I think he'll be a great support for Kissy I think uh, him and Kissy will get on well I think they'll drive high standards and I think he will bring a level of detail to the to the forwards play I think if you watch Ulster against Leinster uh, a couple of weeks ago if Jono was doing the video review over that there would have been laptop smash like um, I think the, the Ulster line or the Ulster hooker or they called the ball to where Dev was standing I'd say <laughs> at least six times which is just <laughs> totally inexcusable myself and Fez were discussing it like that just shouldn't happen and I think Jono will help iron out things like that and just that level of detail he brings to the to the forwards play will, will undoubtedly help but Les, Les has got a got to let John O'Gibbs Gibbs coach you know, he's got to <coughs> let him in and he's got to say right this is what you offer let's get it out there and they got to work together and I think 
Again, I'm not in the camp, but by all accounts, you know, the last few months, Neil Doga and Clark haven't been doing that much coaching in, in, in Ulster, and Les has been very, very hands-on and very controlling of, of taking all the responsibility of the coaching. And, um, you know, when Dwayne Peel and, and John O'Gibbs come in, they've got to share the responsibility of the coaching and they got to work together. And if the coaches aren't working together, then, you know, that... You know, that goes into the squad as well mm. uh, and I think we've seen that very much over the last couple of weeks well fingers crossed and we can be sitting here next season talking about a <laughs> great turnaround I really hope so I really hope get so get you back so for part two next year up <laughs> next we'll look ahead to this weekend's Pro 12 semi-finals and we get the best odds from Ladbrokes the hard yards now when the cups are decided you have fine weather but that's probably a two month period you have to do the hard yards Hey, that's the name of the show. Excuse the pun. No, that's perfect. We're going to use that now. <laughs> I'm on a bonus for that, definitely. Yeah. Get Jordan, that in. The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards. On Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. We have a big weekend of Pro 12 semi-final action ahead of us um, and a, a good one for uh, for Irish rugby fans. Leinster against Scarlets on Friday night. Uh, Munster versus Ospreys um, in the two semi-finals, and of course Connacht play uh, Wales Northampton in the Champions Cup semi-final play. Sorry, playoff semi-final this weekend. Let's start with Leinster. Kev, over to you. Um, how confident are you that Leinster will not mess up and beat Scarlet this weekend? No, I'm confident, but uh, Scarlet's are on a hot streak and they're going to come and play. They know that the only way to beat Ulster or <laughs> Leinster in the RDS is uh, by throwing the ball around and having a go. And I played against the Scarlets, uh, I think, what, 2008, 2009, where they came to the RDS and beat us by 50 points. I think it was 54-10 or something like that. And they, they have the ability to do that. And the way they're playing at the moment, they'll score tries. I think it's going to be a cracking game. Uh, mm. But I think Leinster should have enough. What do what do Scarlets bring to the table? I know you're talking about they've they, they've always had the reputation of playing you know good, running, attacking rugby. But um, what what will what will fans be looking for tomorrow night? Well, they're just going to throw the ball around and have a go. Um, they if they know that if they come and kick to Leinster, they'll lose the game. So they're going to run from everywhere. It's going to be high tempo. They're going to obviously know, know they need to score a couple of tries early on, put the pressure on Leinster. Um, so, yeah, you, you're going to see some really exciting attacking rugby uh, yeah. from both sides. It's going to be a terrible game now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pick and go, pick and go. Yeah, it's going yeah. to be a pick and go for Scarlet and Lance are going to kick the letter off the ball. <laughs> that, that's the way it's going to go. <laughs> and then we'll flip forward to uh, to Saturday. Munster play Osprey. So another um, Irish-Welsh final is part of this league, which has four countries in it, but we'll come back to that some other time. Um, do Ospreys have more of a chance than Scarlet's at progressing here, Kevin? No. No, no, I don't think so. Um, I was over for the the Ospreys Ulster match over at the Liberty Stadium, and they were pretty average. Uh, kept giving the ball away, turning the ball over. They kicked loosely. If Dan Baker's not playing well, and you know Reese Webb's not playing well, then uh, the team doesn't function at all. So, uh, be interesting to see if Alan Wynne Jones is going to line out and start, um, which you know is, is a big boost for the Lions squad. But for me, Munster my tip to go on and win it. I think the emotion that they're going to be playing with um, and what has happened over the last year, I think they're going to be very, very difficult to beat in their own backyard. Their support, the fans that they're now getting at the games uh, is huge. And even when Ulster went down there to play Munster, Munster were very, very poor, but they just got over the line. And, and that was because of the support and the emotion of everybody in the stadium. And I think they're going to be very, very difficult to beat. Um, and yeah, as I said, they're my tip to actually go on and win the competition. Uh, well, Pat, you were talking to Conor Murray recently, mm. and he he certainly talked about their desire 
desire to get some sort of trophy this season. Yeah, yeah. Speaking to yeah, Conor Murray, and then even speaking to Jack O'Donoghue recently, and they're just kind of saying, "Stop name dropping." <laughs> and this wasn't even from a job. This was just kind of hanging out with them. But uh, yeah, they're both they're both kind of saying they're both very disappointed at that uh, that semi final against against Saracens and that they know as well that they didn't fire a shot I know Erasmus came out and said they did but they know they didn't perform like they should so um, they'll be determined to kind of put it right and the fact that they're playing in Toman as well and um, like it'll be a sellout I'd say I'd imagine for the seventh or eighth time this season which was kind of something completely different uh, even this time last year so yeah they'll, they'll, be, up, they'll be right up for this and uh, they should have all their big stars kind of ready to rock for them as well uh, probably Dunica Ryan's last game at home for, for Munster now as well like so they've got plenty of motivation for this as well like so um, oh Jesus you'll be fired up for this so uh, we've been joined by Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes hello hello um, what are we looking at now in terms of Ladbrokes odds on these two semi-finals I'm presuming that Leinster and Munster are both uh, clear favourites yeah both clear favourites but um, Munster are an even shorter price than, than Leinster are um, they're 7-1 to one on at the moment and, and the Ospreys are 9-2 to two, the Scarlet 7-2 which agrees with what you're saying that the Scarlets have a better chance of turning over the favourites than the Ospreys but um, if you're looking at the spread Munster minus 12 can be backed uh, at 10 to 11 and CJ Stander he was saying that you know there's no time for fatigue like he's trying to get everybody really pumped for this um, so like a wide margin win could be within their within their grasp uh, Leinster can be backed to minus 10 points uh, at 10 to 11 um, and if you go back I think it was in March they, they beat them by 36 points or something like that so you know backing a, a big margin win by Leinster might be the most foolish thing Who's right. favourite for the championship? Or for the uh, Leinster are 8 to 11 and Munster are 6 to 4 to go all the way so this is where I turn it over to our prediction king <laughs> Stephen Ferris well the last couple of months have went really really well for me <laughs> <laughs> and again at the weekend um, uh, Staff Francais were minus two and Saracens were minus five and I jumped all over that and, and put a double on them so uh, yeah me and a couple of my friends from uh, from Heineken got, got, a, got a few quid out of that but uh, yeah to be honest I, was, I have to sit and have a think about it and go through the team sheets Um <laughs> with those two on, on the spread because when it comes to knockout rugby it's not a league match where you know you're going to play somebody else the following week you know it's and, and you're looking for bonus points e and all e that yeah. everything is on the line here yeah. so to be honest I would probably be tempted to go the other way and say that um, the Ospreys will be within 12 points and that Scarlets will be within 10 points um, crystal ball time um, give me two two winners I'll give you the winners, no problem. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, of course, Leinster and Munster are going to win, but it's just uh, there's no point in on, on putting bets on unless you go with the spread for me. So, um, yeah, I'll have a think. Come back to me here in a second. Well, <laughs> I'm going to bet on the overs. I don't know what the overs unders are, but I reckon there'll be lots of points in the Leinster. You are re you are determined to ruin this game for everybody, aren't you? <laughs> there's going to be lots of picking out. No, it's going to be, be loads six of tries. three. Yeah, I think there's 50, 60 points in the game in the uh, in the Leinster Scarlet. Okay. They'll, they'll be quoting Kev before these games and Sky Sports again won't they like yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a try fest but there is a game that's gone under the radar this weekend so Connacht have like again this was the season that w the season that shouldn't have been yeah. after yeah. they won the Pro 12 title but they they did make sure that they at least are in the playoff semi-final uh, for the Champions Cups so they're away to Northampton um, Pat this is this it's on TV thank God yeah TG4 yeah have yeah. got it yeah so uh, we can watch it but this is a big game for Connacht yeah I, like if 
you know, if they don't if they don't win this, so I know they have to win this and then they have to go to a playoff final even if they win this against yeah. probably a French side as well. So um you know, they, they have to win it. They have been in absolutely dreadful form. Um they're coming into this, you know, in a hor- horrible shape. But uh you know, Saints aren't you know, they're not knocking down doors either as well. So um yeah, if they could get this Lamb Lamb could leave a hero, like you know, like he's not gonna you know walk out the door a villain but he could leave a hero here if he can somehow leave Connacht after a a pretty poor follow up season from winning the league in the Champions Cup he could walk away and say I've done a good job there Is the goodbye factor a thing here? Yeah well there'll be a a lot of kind of he's gone back to Northampton as well he's got a bit of history as well and um, again we always talk at the end of every season like four or five lads heading out the door as well Mm. like so um, there'll there'll be a bit of that (laughs) there'll be the, the, the rallying call of do this for, for Bundy like you know that's oh, gee, yeah, <laughs> the suspended Bundy Aki, yeah. but um, I, like I can't see them I can't see them win it because they're, they're absolutely they're coming into this with zero form but it, it, we could be surprised we could have this type of Grenoble game as well where they just go and fling the ball around and Jesus you're trying to kill another game this <laughs> <weekend>. <laughs> I think I'm a bit more confident than Kev that this could be like a 41 points to 39 game or something like that so it's uh, we'll probably just have the heavens open up for us now at the weekend and just be Shite games of rugby, <laughs> but but on a, on a on a serious point here, that so so to to quickly um, run through this is giving a coach a send off, a departing coach who has been a successful person and a key part of the club. Is that extra motivation, or does that really matter to you as a player? Um, <laughs> you're probably concentrating your own roles and responsibilities yeah. when it comes to the match. You're not really thinking about the coach. I'd say it have been talked about a good bit, Kev, during the week. You know, in the build-up to it, uh, amongst the players when they're standing and you know, uh, before training or after training in a squad circle, and they're saying, "Look, listen, this is Pat's last game. We need to put it in here. You know, this gives something to Pat that he's going to remember." Um, but the geez, Connacht have got a tough job going over to Northampton. I know Northampton aren't playing well, like, but uh, you know, Connacht are, are struggling, really, really struggling at the minute. So I don't give them much hope. But at the same time, they're a fighting squad. They always come out when their backs are against the wall, and um, I really hope that they do put in a performance for Pat because Pat really deserves that, and he's he's done so much for Connacht rugby. But uh, I think the emphasis is going to be put on the individual players to make sure that they perform on the day. Okay, um, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you to Kev, to Fez, to Pat and Haley. Uh, thank you to Joe Harrington for producing and Shane Dempsey for looking after the sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. I'm Andy McGeady. This has been The Hard Yards. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport.